Over the course of the last few weeks, we have experienced a tremendous number of people in a wide variety of organizations that are absolutely, unequivocally, beyond and to the exclusion of every reasonable doubt, incompetent or maniacal, manipulative, and screwing with people. Let's talk a little bit about that. Well, yeah, it's an interesting thing because you can understand incompetence, but when you have nothing to gain, it's really difficult to understand just uh, malicious is game playing just for the sake of playing the game, harassing people, whatever, especially when you're in a regulated industry and you have certain obligations to your customers or clients. It's uh, it's it's weird. Years ago, your mother and I were settling an estate and the insurance company, this old, old, old life insurance policy, uh, nobody knew where it was. Nobody knew anything about it. We finally tracked the company down. Do you remember that story by chance? No, I do not. Well, I'm going to tell the story because everybody thinks technology is you know, the solution to everything. And so we'll just call it Spickety Spoo Insurance. And they were in, I believe, North Dakota. And it was uh, one of those events that you never forget. Finally found the woman and she goes, oh my gosh, got a hold of somebody. Oh my gosh, I you, this is unbelievable. We'll call her Mildred. I said, Why, what's going on, Mildred? She said, I literally am the last employee of Spickety Spoo. I've been here like 50 years. They're keeping me on until they get everything all digitized. And so I've got the records, but actually all the policies and everything, everything for the company is literally, I'm looking out the window and the moving vans are moving to like Des Moines, where a lot of insurance companies are. And she told who who bought the company, Spickety Spoo. And we had a great conversation. And I said, well, well, I might as well learn something. She told about how the days of index cards and IBM punch cards and, you know, the old reel to reel tapes. And we had a, we had a grand time talking about that. But what I learned was she was basically the company historian. They kept her on and she was going to work for another five years. Sure. She was going to be moving. She was literally, it was like my dad when they closed up the company at uh, at the uh, trucking company. He's the last man standing and never turned the keys. I mean, so she was the last person there. She said, I'm serious, Mr. Truesdies. I'll call me Paul. I'm serious, Paul. I'm turning the keys in when I'm done and I'll be working out of this little office blah, 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 was like an accountant or, or whatever. And, and when I'm done, then I'm done, but I got to get all the history. So she said, that policy, it's in box 37B on, on the fourth truck out of here. And I know what to do with this thing. And I'll get you the claim form and they'll process it anyways because I have that authority. And But here's the thing. People don't know their history. And in the case of, uh, we were talking just a second ago about the moving money from a LPL. Yeah. Uh, tell, tell that story. Yeah. Yeah. There was a client had an LPL account that was abandoned, basically. Um, hadn't been managed. You know, they forgot about it. Paperwork or whatever wasn't done. And it was in their category of basically we custody it, but there's nobody managing it. And there hasn't been a withdrawal or a contact with the person in a long time. I believe they sent statements. And that was the only reason uh, that there was any like real record of it still existing. Um, but effectively, it was like a dormant account. And and the reason for it is the gentleman uh, had been on a long, slow, gradual cognitive decline and yeah. things like this completely freaked him out when it came to online digital computing, et cetera. 
Yeah, so so it was, it was an effect. It was effectively an abandoned account, but you know there were there were assets in the account, and um, so it was self custodied by LPL. Or I mean, it was self. What do they call it? it has a house account basically? Where it was a house account where, where there's nobody really managing it, but it has assets in it. And so. the original broker dealer on it was acquired by let's say company A, which then was a com- uh, acquired by company B, then company C, and finally wound up in yeah. the the bowels of LPL. Yeah. So. It took like an ACAT was attempted, and and anyways, long story short, they eventually figured out how to what they needed to do. Uh, the right person had been contacted, and the right paperwork was there, and all that fancy stuff. Um, but it was just an internal processing, like they, you know, for I think several weeks, if I recall, people didn't even know who to contact and get a hold of because it was in the middle of COVID, and you know, just the nightmares of of corporate bureaucracy trying to figure out who's on first and what and what needs to be done. Eventually. Uh, I believe calls with legal and whatever they figured out what needed to be done. Uh, they basically, for some weird reason, they like reopened and mo- reopened a new account and then the assets into it because it was some form of legacy account that they couldn't figure out how to process properly. And then the assets were uh, successfully, uh, I think, two months after this process was started. But in this case, you know, it's just a situation of like, you know, like you said, company acquires company acquires company. And nobody really knows exactly what to do with it. I mean, people want to help, but it's just, you know, sometimes things get stuck in bureaucracy land. Well, two things I want to jump in and say is, one, a lot of times people don't want to help uh, if they have to think outside of the rigid format. You know, yeah. you check the boxes. Well, not my job. I move it on to somebody else and that person, not their job, and they move it on to somebody else and eventually it'll get somewhere, but it takes a lot longer. Than well, the somebody. sad thing is that's true. Some Eventually it'll get somewhere. The problem is you might wind up right back to the person you're dealt with, and we've had that. It's literally yeah. a dog chasing a tail. Yeah, I mean, that, that's one of the things that I've been impressed with so far with interactive brokers is even when people don't know something, they're like, I'll go and figure out how to get this information for you. And they retrieve it back for us, you know? So, you know, maybe something isn't totally documented or it's an unusual case or something like that, but they're generous in their time and willing to try and solve the problem. They're not just trying to get it off their desk and move on to the next thing. So, yeah. And that's, that's the thing, you know, interactive brokers, not a commercial for them, but there's a reason why we use them and you have these quote unquote marquee, uh, firms that uh, are, you know, Wall Street based and, oh, we're so good. And boy, we have dealt with some of the biggest ding-dongs in the face of the earth at times. They just literally... It's just bureaucracy for bureaucracy's sake. And and like you said, I mean, you know, things move from, you know, acquisition to acquisition and then the internal policies aren't updated on how to deal with things and stuff gets uh, confusing very quickly. If you don't have that corporate glue, that historian, that, that person who has been around for a long time, understands a lot about a lot of different facets of the business and how it works and who is in charge and what the different, you know, circumstances were for different decisions. And that's why, uh, you know, I've thought about this for a while, but, you know, it seems to me that there's a a need for a tool um, for corporate documentation. And, you know, that seems like a kind of Captain Obvious type thing. But the problem is, is, well, how do you document things in in a way that, you know, maybe three CEOs later might find out about? things you know what people most people in corporate america how do they write how do they store information they keep stuff in their crms they keep stuff in uh word documents they do a lot of stuff on excel spreadsheets right that's how the entire business works so unless you're a voluminous 
reader and you know you're trudging through the mess of previous administrations at a company how, how do you figure out what was going on what the decisions were it's it takes people it's a it's a cultural thing right it's people's people's memory and they know where to go find things so yeah i mean i, I don't even know what the solution is but it seems like there's something there maybe you might remember the company we dealt with years ago in washington dc literally in dc and then eventually they transferred out to bethesda there was a lady there and I used to call her glue Yeah, and she got a kick out of that and she knew exactly what I was talking about. Well, this company wound up then being acquired and merged. Uh, it was a merger of equals. There's no such thing. Somebody's always oh, acquiring yeah. somebody. <laughs> Somebody, Let's be. somebody has to take the lead. There's no such thing as a merger where, oh, now we're co-CEOs. Yeah, okay. Yeah, there's that never doesn't. never going to happen. And what happens when you disagree? You just like, you have, flip a coin. Do you do a uh, you do an Aaron Burr? You, you have a duel? Oh, I like that idea. We reduce all the ex- excessive executive compensation. <laughs> Cut it in half. There you go. <laughs> but uh, I used to call her glue. And when the company wound up again moving to, uh, it was acquired for another time. It went to the Midwest. And I picked the phone one time and I called this company and guess whose voice was on all of the, it was hers, Glue. Yeah. And I tracked her down and sure enough, um, she was not doing what she was doing, uh, but she had talked her way into, and it was a cute conversation. It wasn't one of those, uh, I didn't say that right. I didn't, it, she, they, they recognized her knowledge. Uh, she was not a, a long-term employee previously. She had been there like five or 10 years which is probably long term today, but not like not like my fifty year old lady, oh, <laughs> 50, yeah. 50 years of experience lady yeah. uh, in uh, North Dakota. But she, but uh, this lady Glue, I'm not going to use her name because it's unusual and people might know me and figure it out. But Glue uh, wound up becoming uh, the historian for operations in D.C. and Bethesda. Had a beautiful voice, had a radio voice, and uh, she wound up uh, obviously doing all the voice recordings for them, the telephone service, all all that. Sure, yeah. And but she knew everything, and so she, she said, "Yeah, I got a great gig. I'm I kind of get to attend all the things. That's everything's confidential, but I'm the one who knows all that stuff." I thought that was brilliant years ago. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I, I remember years ago people like just you know learning about you know how corporate America works and how, you know, the majority of people, it's just clock in, clock out. They don't care. Yep. Right. And then punch and Judy MBA. And it's funny how in, even in the software industry, you see debates among people, especially now that everything's online about how, oh, well, you know, you, you don't, you don't, they don't deserve, you know, your, your undivided attention 24 hours a day. Although most people like you can't properly do this type of stuff without thinking about it all the time. And, you know, you've got an entire class of people out there who, think that they should treat it like a uh like a you know like you're stocking shelves at a grocery store where you just show up you do your thing and then you leave and so it's funny because you know you wonder how things get weird or messed up or 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 so poorly thought out in software and it's you know it's because you have the same type of people everywhere you go you have an entire class of people who you know they don't take their profession very seriously and i'm sure some people hearing that will either get upset or know they'll or they know exactly the kind of person that i'm talking talking about and uh yeah those people they are necessary to get stuff done but at the same time it's hilarious because it they can cause problems if you don't manage them properly well you and, and i have worked together for a long long time go ahead i'm sorry i was just gonna say and a lot of i think managers who are really in it and know what they're doing they are naive about how um 
let's say, detached most people are from their day-to-day, you know? I think you and I have worked together for such a long, long time, uh, a father and son team, that it uh, it literally one day when I'm long gone and you're an old fart, people are going to say, that was really amazing. But that being said, how many times have we struggled with migration of data, especially going back years ago when the protocols were totally different? Uh, data migration is tough. And I say that because, you know, you have companies, well, you have the IRS is still doing, uh, I think is a Fortran or Cobalt. I mean, they're still fiddle farting around with that stuff. And there are companies that, I mean, they have antiquated systems that do not mesh well. Well, the age of the programming language in the system is not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, the airline, the defense industry, airline industry, defense industry, the banking, the American banking system, um, all run on systems that at least a, a large part of the core systems were engineered in the 60s using what some people view as archaic language like languages like COBOL or Fortran and things like that. But they actually work. But yeah, they work. And, you know, there's a reason IBM still has a very, um, it's not booming, but it's robust uh, mainframe business because these these uh, tools require different types of computer systems. So I what I'm going with that is just because you can doesn't mean you should. And so a lot of companies have integrated systems. They're updating. And again, compatibility is terrible. And I know of one company, they, they, they're running three different systems. Like if you want this, you go here, you want that, you go there. How well, many times that's, have... That's most big companies. I was just going to oh, say... This division uses Google and this division uses Microsoft. And, you know, this division uses... Uh, uh, you know, a Salesforce thing for the same thing. It's like, come on, people. Well, how many times have you been on the telephone or on a video call with somebody in customer service where you have got to solve a problem for us? And you, they say, well, now, let me get into that screen or let me get in that program. And I just oh, yeah. bear with me. Can I put you on hold for a minute? And they get the stupid music because you know they're struggling to find the information. Yeah. And these are banks. <laughs> yep. Yep. Well, and the older you are, you know, like you said, data migration is hard and there's longer you're around the more robust your procedures need to be for migrating that information um you know i just know about it tacitly because i was i was asked questions about it but you know there's a uh there's a client who had records for a very very old trust that they had to pull the microfish on Because that was that was the original copy that they had. I would I would I would do it. I would love to do a survey. Ask people. Do you know what a microfish is? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ask anybody with plus or minus ten years of my of of me, and I highly doubt most people would. Even, I mean, most is a is a obvious, but you know, people that know what they're doing know. It's like it's the words. Uh, it's like the word snail darter. You know, you have this little fish that held up uh, nuclear power plants forever. Oh no, snail darters are, and that's a whole thing. If you go online to Wikipedia, you can look up the word snail darter and you'll you can get a good good laugh for it but you know just because you can doesn't mean you do that's another thing just because you can doesn't mean you do and a lot of people may not realize this, but I had an opportunity to be on several public policy institutes. And one was uh, I served on the executive committee for uh, healthcare, the digitization of healthcare. And this was back during the Clinton administration and, and uh, post-Clinton administration as well. And how our local area was going to, you know, start computerizing records. And there was a lot of skepticism, obviously, when that all started. More and more people, I, I, I just don't think people fully understand 
understand the, the level of fear people had over your public records, your records being made public and conf- you know that whole yeah, thing. Yeah, and they should still be. Well, I mean, it's it's as if the system and the, the the stuff that they've done doesn't exist. You know, you you can talk to two specialists and and one general practitioner, and then talk to a hospitalist, and they can't find anything. And that's where I was going. So. We 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 have a family issue involving a, a an extended family issue, a very serious medical condition, and no doctors. The information is there. They don't even read their own notes. Well, that's a whole other problem. But yeah, I was just making fun of how we have supposedly this magical, or at least we're supposed to have this magical transmission of, of records and everything. And it doesn't seem like anybody is ever able to get what they need through it or, or whatever. But yeah, then you get down to just pure incompetence. And, and that's, that goes back to what we were saying in the beginning is, you know, you, you have people who they just don't care or they are just playing a game because they can. Yeah. And, you know, I guess the thing for anyone listening is that we do the real deal wealth management, state management. We don't do financial planning or any of that nonsense. That's something your CPA should be doing. And if you want a real financial planner to write yourself a plan and do all that, I'd be happy to refer you to a CPA firm down in Tampa who does a great job. But And they're not going to sell you some financial product and all that. But the point being is that we've seen this. If you do not have a a family member who can advocate for you, I used to get a kick out of that word, you know, oh, you know, your caregiver advocate. It's a real thing. Yeah, it's very important, especially as things have gotten more complicated, more incompetent. If you are retired or if you are uh, working and you become disabled and you do not have a close family member who is willing to put the time in to be with you and track things. If you have a situation where, you know, if you're in the hospital, you're not going to be thinking uh, all the cylinders aren't going to be working. That's why you're in there. There's something going on. Your pain, medication, there's something going on, right? So if somebody's not there helping you every step of the way, you're screwed. I've seen this over Usually. and over and over. Usually. Some, sometimes sometimes you get lucky and you have a problem that you can actually think clearly through, but not usually. Yeah, I got hurt in D.C. The guy took care of me and bada-bing, bada-boom, bada-bang and fixed me for the rest of my life. I can't, can't tell that. George Washington University Hospital. I walked in the same doors that Reagan went, walked in and <laughs> basically collapsed just like him. Another day, another story. But the point being is that what we've seen of late is that uh, in your, how many times have we had clients where we've had to say, and, and this is not our job, but let's just use, uh, I don't know, let's use Prozac. I don't like that. It's a pill that comes to mind. This doctor prescribed it, that doctor. and that. So you got four, three doctors who all prescribe the same thing. And you wonder why your client is sitting in the corner with drooling? Yeah. Yep. I mean, don't you even... You remember the, the client we had, uh, she was in the hospital and he wound up breaking a hip and he went in and he wound up going to a nursing home and, and, and he was he was all messed up. And I walked in and threw the business card on the thing. I demanded to see his medical records and I lost my cookies. Remember, he was out within days, fully recovered, but they just had him medicated up to the kazoo. Yep. It's all about pushing pills. I mean, look, not everybody, but my God. Yeah, yeah. Well, but that, but that cat, that problem cascades all industries. So people think that just because you know, oh my, 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 my money's managed by you know, insert magical Wall Street firm. They, they have my best interests in mind. They've been around 120 years. They, they know what they're doing. They're experts. And it's like I doubt it. They're the same flunkies that you see everywhere else in the world. They just have a magical degree, and they can, as you would say, sprinkle the holy water. And they, in the, in my own kind of little, little word here, you know, they, they go into a situation 
or or whatever and they're the magical uh they're the magicians that have the special information you know they're the gods of the situation everybody treats them like they're special and it's like not really well it's this lucky gene pool okay or the lucky lottery uh, this uh cryptocurrency fellow what's his name uh Friedman Bankman Sam Bankman Freed, or as I just like to call him, the Bankman. Okay, so the Bankman. Because the name is just too funny to pass up. <laughs> he is not only a clown, but everything that he did was a clown show. But on top of that, it showed the clowns from Tom Brady to well, all of them. Everybody jumped on the bandwagon without actually sitting down and go. And you and listen, I'm, you know this, and I don't care if anybody doesn't like it. We've been talking about this from day one this doesn't make any damn sense this guy is a shyster he's no different than bernie madoff i know just give me a second but he has dragged so many people in who didn't do what they didn't read they didn't ask they didn't do any critical thinking and they're going to get burned well no they're not going to get burned because that's what the government is there for yes you know they they issued securities and he either lied or or fabricated information and now all those people who didn't do due diligence yeah they lost some money but they're being covered by the fact that the sec is prosecuting him for securities fraud but but civil litigation will not stop on this well but you know the problem is if you're you know sequoia and one of your one of your uh uh fund participants sues you for not doing your due diligence well i i have the easiest defense in the world but but tiger global management and softbank and all these other in blackrock we all had the same problem we all got hoodwinked how do you hold us to a higher standard than blackrock or any of these other people so that's the issue right if you properly layer your 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 confidence grift which is all this ever was if you properly layer or reputational uh add-ons then you know this is no different than people that play like you know strategy games you know strategy computer games this is this is this is relationship and 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 influence strategy games and if you properly layer them there's very few people that will get burned and then the thing is the bankman his issue is very funny because he put himself out there as that one person that he couldn't have um, couldn't have any any deniability in what he was doing. Everybody ultimately trusted him. So when he falls, he's he's the one he's the linchpin. And it's funny because you know we, we did a lot of research and we we talked a lot about it because it's just it's an interesting thing. And you know we were going to do a podcast about it, but instead we kind of just let it roll. And it's and it's I think it's probably better we did it this way because kind of shows a lot a lot more has come out about how malicious he was and what he was doing. And it's it to me it's funny because a lot of people bought this um you know this i'm just uh, i just made a mistake you know routine he he effectively went on a press tour from his what 30 million dollar compound in the bahamas mm-hmm. to convince everybody that you know oh this just happened to me and oh we made mistakes but it wasn't criminal and a lot of people believed it i mean new york times and wall street journal and and many others ran with the you know aw shucks routine i guess he was trying to he was trying to go with and it's absolutely hilarious now because now you have him in probably one of the worst prisons in the world pending extradition that he's fighting in the bahamas and you know basically the u.s government behind the scenes as I don't think a lot of people 
thought they would. I, a lot of people thought that they would get into a jurisdictional fight as to who who's on first and whatever. And instead, it seems like they all got on the same page and they got a prosecution coordinator to get everybody together and like, okay, the FTC goes and gets them for this. And the SEC has these complaints and the uh, all the different regulatory organizations that they either fell under or violated rules or laws with, they all lined them up and they have this massive gauntlet of civil and other and, and then ultimately criminal charges from the Department of Justice, um, and they're gonna they're gonna extradite his uh, his 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 dumbass back to the U.S. And but what's even funnier is because his parents were involved in this, they're they're being looked at too. And the, you know the net is obviously widening because I, I think we've we've talked about it internally a lot. You know, you look at like uh, the Madoff situation, or you look at uh, Enron and other things. When you're looking at more traditional assets, um, it's very easy to kind of track them and then kind of figure out, okay, where did any of this stuff go? You know, oh, you uh, transferred customer funds and you did these shenanigans, and okay, now you paid yourself, or you know, you moved the money to an, into a shell company, then bought a house that you lived in, and you know, you can figure out how money gets moved around and how stuff happens. Um, but with crypto, the problem is, is here you have an exchange. Problem problem. Um, there's a lot of hands. There's a lot of people involved. Then on top of it, because it is crypto, there's no way to claw anything back. A lot of this is just gone. It's into the ether. I was just going to say, it's into the ether. It's yeah. gone. So it's it's weird because it's... it's this Which is, is totally different from what Bernie made off. A lot of that money oh, yeah. got clawed back. And whether it was right or wrong... Yeah, I mean, there's an argument to be made there one way or the other. But they were able to claw it back. They were able to untangle the assets and the and the distributions and different things and get, and get those assets sets back to then be able to distribute them equally to all of the all of the uh, victims in that situation right where with this it's like well how do you how do you get money back when somebody you know uh, squandered a billion dollars on a trade then gets sent into a whole bunch of other weird crypto options that are all effectively anonymous and you know then gets then the funds and proceeds the proceeds from these different trades get pulled out into weird you know different addresses for ethereum and bitcoin and yeah. all kinds of other weird stuff it's like this is this is a this mess. is a classic i think example of why um you know regulation of space is needed because it is very effective money laundering oh absolutely and even if it's not intended to be money laundering it, you get the same effect where it's like it's so washed how do you know where it even went I want to round back because I said there's going to be a lot of people get burned and you talk about the layering effect. I, w I want to explain why sure. I still, it's it's a big deal. And Tom Brady, because he's a football guy in Tampa and, you know, some people are going to drink the Kool-Aid. Tom Brady, no matter what, is God. But, you know, you can't talk to those people. Here's what I'm talking about. It's time, effort, aggravation, and money. These people who were spokespeople for, oh, I endorse all, I, all this. There's a lot of those too. They were paying, they were paying a lot of money out and and in, in, in uh, sponsorship and spokesperson deals. I mean, some people on YouTube are getting paid. Uh, I think I saw fifty and sixty thousand dollars a month to promote this crap in their YouTube videos. And yeah. So I if think, uh, well, let's Brady, just take that. Well, Tom Brady, I think, got paid in one of their magical, use, worthless tokens, FTT or something like that. So you know, they were paying people in regular money. They were paying people in you know fake money. They were. <laughs> 
it's it's a it's crazy. It, was any monopoly money involved by chance? Yeah, yeah. They they literally invented two different kinds of monopoly money. And then what's funny is last year in the summer, he was uh, the bankman was interviewed by Bloomberg on that podcast called Odd Lots. Okay, and it's worth going back and listening to it now that you kind of know what has happened. And I, I'm saying this just to everybody, not just you, because he he talks about how basically with cryptocurrency, uh, he literally just describes a Ponzi scheme and says, "Oh, but it's legal, and you know, basically it's 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 the it's the new way to infinite money." And it turns out that these theories and concepts that he was talking about, that was what they were doing. Yep, <laughs> that was what they were doing. And I I, re- I recall this interview because it was so dang funny. People talked about, "Wow, you have a guy literally he's he's a you know a titan of the crypto world, and he's literally talking about how all crypto is a Ponzi scheme, and if you just did X, Y, and Z, you could just print money out of thin air, blah blah blah." And everybody's like, "Wow, that's really weird." But I was I when I when I heard that, I was just like, "Well, yeah." Welcome to the kind of the fundamental problem with crypto is valuations and, and all that sort of stuff. There's there's a lot of fundamental issues, but that turns out that's what they were doing. <laughs> I, I never would have fathomed that you had a $30 billion business and that was exactly how they managed to become a $30 billion It's like business. saying, hey, you got a bank and I'm a bank robber and we're going to rob your bank and we're going to do it on Tuesday and, uh, you know, and, oh, ha, ha, ha. And then Tuesday they walk in and rob the bank. Exactly. But I want to go back to this because, and then we'll wrap up here. I I really want people to understand that, you know, uh, be careful what you wish for. You might get it. So you endorse, you do all this stuff, but you don't do your research. It's going to cost, and bear with, time, effort, aggravation, and money. And not only that, but reputation. Oh, yeah. And your future earnings are going to be, are going to be a, take a hit. Now, let me give you an example. So let's say uh, Tom Brady has an endorsement with uh, uh, Light Fire Shoes. And Light Fire Shoes are, they're paying him, you know, $10 million, $50 million to endorse Light Fire Shoes. I've made that up in my head just now. Well, now Lightfire finds out that he's being sued for this, that, and everything else. They have a reputation. They have a morals clause in the contract. Sure. Yeah. And if they have a lawyer that knows what the hell they're doing, they have a clawback provision. So now they say, uh, we're enforcing this morals uh, provision. Um, you're engaged in, they're claiming uh, near or pseudo criminal activity. At the very least, it's a reputational issue. And so now we want our money back. You, you've damaged our reputation. So let's say you have five or six of these going on. Well, there's uh, a reason that the the stadium in, in Miami, they the day after all this broke, they immediately started scratching the uh, the FTX uh, uh, naming rights off of the building and everything. It was like, nope, this this is bad news. Get it off of here. Okay, so I assume that's the clause that they triggered with that. absolutely. But now here's these are these these are the kinds of things that the the expenses. What, what did it cost to take that off? What did, all I want definitely. Yeah. Okay. Hey, excuse my language. Hey, jackass. Uh, you cost me a lot of money and you're going to pay. So the litigation on this thing, but the other thing I want to go into is the coordination of the federal government, SEC, et cetera, et cetera. It, they moved fairly quickly and got this thing going, knowing how slow the government tends to work. Yeah, I would say in the grand scheme of things, given how well coordinated it is and how thorough it seems to be, um, I would say they moved pretty quickly. So I can't disclose anything, but I, I know that there are some very, very large uh, litigation firms that are in 
in the process of coordinating, collaborating on class action. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And uh, there's a lot of people looking for, you know, just plaintiffs, plaintiffs, plaintiffs. So if you were a victim in any way, shape, or form, feel free to give us a call here. We'll be happy to talk with you. We're not doing litigation, but we're happy to get you in the right point, in the right direction, because that's sure. yeah. that's a fair thing to do. But, you know, just think of the class actions. It's going to be ugly. Well, it's, and, it's well, it goes well beyond the obvious too. Right. But, Rem, but remind me to, to explain. So, that. But you do that, make a note of that. But again, the layering, yep. thank you very much because that's, those are deep pockets. You may, yes. and then I just keep chunking, chunking, chunking. Okay. Add a new, an, oh, another defendant, another defendant, another defendant. You especially just keep if, modifying the, 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 the class. Well, especially if there's gross huge. negligence or intentional um, ignorance, right? Right. You know, and, and in a lot of these cases, I mean, Sequoia had this just comical uh, puff piece up on their website about, you know, how, oh, how altruistic uh, Bankman was and all this stuff. They're screwed. And they talk, <laughs> they, and it's just, it's just this just really sappy, gross thing. And they removed it, of course, and but you can still get the archive for it. It's out there. But what's absolutely funny about it is they admitted in the thing that one of their their biggest round that they participated in, I think he raised a billion dollars. He he was he did it while playing a video game called League of Legends, and he was just sitting back playing the video game, doing the Zoom call at the same time, and just you know you know for lack of a better, he's got chutzpah. I will say of, that. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah, for lack of a better of, of a better phrase, he just bullshitted his way through the appointment, and they agreed to give him the money. But not only that, apparently in the internal messages on the sequoia side for the uh the partners who were on the call they were ooing and eyeing they were oozing about how amazing he is and one person said that oh they're they're convinced that he's he's he's, he's the first trillionaire okay he's such so, a genius and that, that's like a, so that's the kind of liability that like sequoia how much how much credibility did people bank on you know if you have somebody like tiger global management or SoftBank or somebody like that that joins the class that then sues somebody like sequoia and says we rely on your due diligence and it turns out you didn't do jack and more importantly you just you just fawned over him like he was a, a child prodigy who then later by the way in his press tour claimed that oh well i don't even know how to program and I, <laughs> you know it's like everything about him was a lie it's it's literally the it's it is the um it's the what's her name uh the theranos I, it's, and it's, it's funny i have on my notes to talk to you it yeah. is elizabeth um uh, Holmes yeah. uh, syndrome, I call it. It's an Elizabeth Holmes syndrome because, oh, she had that deep, dark voice and she was channeling her Steve Jobs and she wore the mock turtlenecks and everybody was saying, oh, she's so brilliant. She dropped out of Stanford. She's going to... And it was all... I mean, it was well, hogwash. And that was all... Well, she's in prison and her little boy, boy, boy toy's in prison too now. Well, so. that's most... But she, what she did is she committed an outright fraud once the, the, the startup research didn't work out the way it was supposed to. Exactly. Right? But So she just parlayed it into fraud. Now, and she had a board of directors that was all the who's who's, oh, including yeah. Henry Kissinger and all yeah. those others. And that gave her the cover. Just like with Bankman, he got he, money from all these... Well, yeah, he got the institutional backing. <laughs> exactly. Right? You know, he got the Canadian teacher pension fund and he got tiger global management and he got sequoia and he got blackrock and he got softbank and he got all these people that if you and i were to look at it, it's like i don't really know if this is legit but all these guys are investing most people would look at it and go well it must there's something here there, there's got to be something here that's more legitimate than what we're that what we understand in we, my opinion we may not, not invest in it but we wouldn't look at it and say 
this is an outright fraud because people assume people do due diligence. And that's when... Well, it's like we work. How many times... And I was on the bandwagon about we work when everybody said, oh, this is the next greatest thing in the world. There's no way in the world this will work long term. And all it took was them to file their file their paperwork and go on their press tour for their IPO for everybody to go, wait, what? Yeah, and, and, and that's guys, what they disclosed. <laughs> well, yeah, but the thing that killed them and for, for WeWork, if I recall, was it was not the, there wasn't any fraud. There, the lavishness didn't spook anybody. It, you know, I mean, the, it was lavish, of, but not to the point of being grotesque. And, yeah. and the, the idea was rational, but when you dig yes. into it, it just didn't have legs. Well, no, and, that, and while WeWork is still co-working and everything else works, just bear with me, it works. Don't get me wrong, but not at the scale that they were doing and that how- was, That was never the issue, though. None of that was the issue. The issue with WeWork was they didn't own anything. So you were saying you're, you're worth 14 or $15 billion, whatever their, their IPO, initial IPO price was, because you have lease agreements. That is BS. Right, and I was going Everybody to- Everybody thought that they owned stuff or had options to buy things. And it turns out they didn't have anything. Right, and that's what I was going to say to you is that funneling scheme to get money from from investors into property managers or in property owners. Yeah, and what I was going to say is that that's like saying my least vehicle is an asset okay it's not it's a revenue generator if i'm driving for uber exactly. it's not an asset no, and that's where i was trying to make that connection and you're right everybody thought oh you own all this property no you sublet everything is what or, you wound up doing or people thought well maybe they had options to buy them at low prices you know if they went to sell, sell later or something like people didn't you know it's 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 wild versus some some businesses some some startups you know they're much more financially savvy and they understand that well i've raised two billion dollars so i'm going to go out and buy things and do things to diversify my pool so that if the core business goes belly up at least i have i can i can pivot the business effectively right and microsoft for years like we talked about this decades ago now how microsoft for years if the software business went up they would have been a great property management business because they went out and bought every building that they owned or had people in i mean a good example is there's a building i don't remember exactly where it is in tampa but there's a high rise it's like uh on hoover just off of kennedy just before you get to the Howard Franklin, yeah. Yeah, it's, I think, what, a 20-story building? 15, 20 stories, something like that. Something. And they occupy a floor. That's it. They but they rent, own the building. But they own the building and they rent the rest out. And they do that everywhere. Atlanta, obviously tons of stuff in the Seattle area, Redmond and all that. Um, but they own, they have physical assets. And they, at one point in time, was a huge segment of their business. Now, so, it's much smaller because the uh, their, their, their technology business has grown substantially, cloud services and stuff. But but the point is, is that even if the software stuff went up, the company would still be worth quite a bit because they invested their assets properly. So the thing is, just it just shows you how either myopic or, or, or not some people are on what they're doing. The movie is called The Founder. And it uh, stars of, gosh darn, I just lost his name. He was in a bunch of gung-ho and a whole bunch of other movies. Um, It'll come to me in a minute. But the founder is based upon the story of Ray Kroc and how you, you can, everything that we're talking about Michael Keaton is the name yes. of the actor. Uh, everything we're talking about, uh, Michael Keaton plays Ray Kroc, how McDonald's, you know, Ray's not making any money selling burgers. He's not making any money on, on franchises. He's like, uh, we're, oh my God, you know, we're, we're barely making it. And an accountant says, you don't realize what business you're in. It's one of the greatest scenes, I think. Yeah. Uh, it, that scene should be, you know, if somebody has, you know, great movie scenes or whatever, that's one of those. Oh, yeah. It's and great. he's, you know, you're in the real estate 
estate business and blah, blah, blah. And then the phone call he makes with the McDonald's brothers, you know, you own everything above the land. I own everything below the land. Yeah. <laughs> Up yours. <laughs> and I just think it's great. Um, it also shows, let me finish with one other thing. It's, it's a great business tool. It is a it business shows tool. You, that, you know, you go get a franchise with McDonald's today and you want to put a place on this corner here and here and they buy it for you. Yep. You don't own it at all. You basically pay the, you pay a lease to run a McDonald's franchise and that is it. Oh, it's a, it's a, it's a hell of a deal. Now that's an asset because you have an exclusive right to something, right? Right. But it's, it's not as valuable as if you own the land and you, you, you had all this other stuff and that's how they keep them on. That's how they keep them tied to mcdonald's and you never see you never see oh a uh, mcdonald's uh franchise is uh doing their own thing or spins off or does anything like that it's like having phds and uh, a, a horse with blinders on i think so many people get stuck into their rut and that's uh, earlier we were talking about you know being able to connect the dots and how important it is to be a generalist and how important it is to have history and i read an article not long ago it was like oh great insight and i, I got done reading it and i I threw it in the trash, literally. I didn't even bother passing it along to you. I was so disgusted. It started off good. Hey, the next big thing for if you want to get a job, this, that, about being a generalist, knowing a lot about a lot of different things and making decisions, like uh, yes. Captain Obvious. Yeah, so there's specialists and generalists. Specialists are necessary, but it, it's by, by necessity, a, a, a specialist knows a lot about one thing or a very limited set of things. Yep. And unfortunately, you know, the world is a lot more complicated than one very, very, very specific thing. No, you 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 got to put all the pieces of the puzzle together. We're at about uh, 40 plus minutes. What do you say we get out of here instead of doing our two-hour podcast? Let's cut this one a little bit short. Yeah, let's do it. We definitely need to do one on, on the Bankman and go over... <laughs> some of the other crazy stuff there because I don't think a lot of people have a good understanding of how insane this entire thing is. Well, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, one and all, do us a favor and tell family, friends, neighbors, relatives, and coworkers about the Paul Truesdale podcast too. Paul's in a pod. And um, I'm Paul Truesdale. Joining me is none other than the uh, the better half of, uh, of this partnership. Uh, what's your name again? I think it's Paul. I don't know. We call you P2 sometimes, yeah. don't we? Uh, everybody calls you P2. I'm P1. You're P2. We got to get shirts that say you know i'm with thing p1 one, i'm with pizza yeah exactly thing one thing two yeah thing one thing two rod here thanks for joining us later bye